I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. We did it. We did all the things. <laughs> we did all the things without our technical, our technical daddy, Jeremy. Um, well, welcome back, everybody. We are excited to be back for another Wednesday routine checkup episode. Today, we are joined by Natalie Ruskin. Natalie is an award-winning journalist, a success coach, and the host of a success of our own podcast. Natalie has been studying, writing about, about and living the art of well-being for nearly two decades. And she has the research-backed evidence to show that there is another way, a more fulfilling and sustainable way, it needs to be that, to still feel successful in our work and life. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you for joining us today. Tell me how I did. I think I need to borrow that recording for my like infomercial slash promotional <laughs> materials. Could we talk about that after this recording? T- t- absolutely. I could probably, I think we could probably figure out a licensing deal. I want to, I want to jump in right away because I, I'm, I immediately have a, uh, uh, the question, the first question that comes to mind for me is like, yeah. whoa, a success coach. And like as somebody who experiences mm-hmm. imposter syndrome a lot, a lot in my mm-hmm. life, I was thinking about like what it would be like in that intro, <laughs> during that intro to be a success coach. And I'm like, whoa, like you're trying to, you're, you're, you're a success coach, which also then means that you have to be successful at Ugh. being a success coach. Um, do you experience <laughs> imposter syndrome in, oh your, my God. in your role sometimes? I love that you asked that question. I can already feel like my face getting really red and hot with that question because I, <laughs> you went into my head and articulated my inner voice critic right there. <laughs> I really, it was so hard to use that title even in this description of myself, success coach. And yet there's a, and yes, of course, I live and breathe the imposter syndrome all the time. Uh, And I also feel like there's a certain, there's a certain uh, language that is, needs to be used to communicate what I can help people with. So by saying success coach, I'm at least addressing people who want that or feel that they don't have that or have some like impossible idea of what that could be so that at least I'm in the right watering Mm -hmm. hole. But I think part of it for me is it's kind of a sneaky way of accessing the people who I know 
might be struggling most with success, but still wanting this unachievable version of it and knowing that they'll, Mm. that this is the way in for them. Mm. I, I, I would, I'm probably, I want to hazard a guess here. I imagine that you're also the type of person who has a lot of tools and tricks to navigate some of these um, (laughs) scary feelings and situations. Brian's a hack guy. Brian (laughs) loves a hack. Yeah, I totally do. And then when I hear that language, I'm like, oh, this is so kind of just that language is used everywhere. And, but there's a reason why these cliches exist because yes, there's, there's something to say about having tools and tricks or routines or structures to create change. Mm -hmm. I I feel like, I feel like trick has a negative connotation because like Mm -hmm. as somebody who, who um, goes to therapy Makes it feel um, like it should be easy, like a trick should make it easy. Yeah, or or like or that it's not real, like it like yes. it's like a it's some sort of like fabrication, like a mm. way to like navigate around maybe something. But but I don't think that that like that's not the way that I mean that because and to like to go into like therapy for for a second, mm-hmm. you know, like that's not I, like you. I, <laughs> I love talking about therapy, but uh, but like something I find love is that it. like during therapy, like I will learn you know, a tool that in a situation where I'm feeling emotionally dysregulated, a mm-hmm. way to like sort of bring some regulation back into that, that those, those heavy feelings that I'm feeling that allow me to um, respond in a way that more accurately represents the way that I want to carry myself through this world, I guess. So like not to, um, not to like, um, uh, I guess, um, sound like I'm belittling like tools and tricks or like these, these strategies that you can imply to, uh, 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 or implore to, to navigate tough situations. But I'm, I'm sure that you have tools that help you do that when you're, when you're struggling. I am all about the, the, we'll just beat this, uh, this metaphor till it's like up. <laughs> Uh, would would pulp, but I have a big tool chest and yeah. I carry it around and sometimes it's heavy. But anyway, the point <laughs> is like, it's interesting. I grew up in a family of very, to, to answer this question, I really myself struggle with like, is there an easy way out? Is there a hack for this? Or is it just supposed to be struggle all the time? And that's life. And I come from a family of very academic, evidence-based intellectuals. Um, My father's a psychiatrist. My mom's a therapist who comes from a family of Holocaust survivors. So there's the between, and then my my sisters are very, um, they're they're very evidence-based kind of approached in their work. And then I'm kind of that black sheep who went to a recovery program 20 years ago because I struggled with emotional overeating and sought out a spiritual solution that kind of seems so out there. Um, And so I come from that sort of skeptical background of like, it's supposed to be hard. We suffer and that's how we learn and you have to push hard and you need evidence to make something um, real. And then on the other hand, there's so much of my journey and story has been about asking that question, does it have to be this way? And, and is the way I'm feeling the best it can get? And is there a better way to do it? And, and actually like, can it be easier than this? Does it have to be hard? Cause mm. so much of, I think the conditioning is it's hard. It's supposed to be hard. And if it's not hard, 
there's something wrong right now mm-hmm. with this situation. It mm-hmm. almost feels like there, um, that it would be that one of the things that if we could get really good at recognizing when it should be hard and when it shouldn't be, if we could make that realization and have that understanding, then that would lead us to a lot that that would alleviate a lot of the suffering that we encounter in our lives. Because I think that there are certainly situations where it, where it shouldn't be hard or it doesn't need to be hard. And there are ways around, but if we carry that, you know, if we carry that um, sort of like entrenched belief that, you know, anything worth doing is always, is always hard, always suffering, then we'll stick with it well beyond where we needed to exit. Taylor, Taylor, do you, do you feel like you can identify moments in your life where you feel like something felt hard and shouldn't have felt hard or, or vice versa? I mean, I think that that, I think for me that personally came in the form of a, a very commonly held, um, adolescent sort of like into adulthood transition, which was a transition away from a, a, uh, a, the pursuit of a professional hockey career, which began when I was very young and then sort of culminated when I was 19 years old and, and going, how much longer do I suffer through this thing that I believe I'm Mm. just supposed to be doing? And when do I pull the plug and move on with the rest of my life? I can't see what the rest of my life looks like because I'm so blinded by the fact that I've been thinking about it looking like this for so long. And overcoming that is like the the big major thing for me. I think probably the other thing is wrapping my head around having a kid. Those are probably two big, mm. two big like transitional periods in my life where it was very hard to see, um, where it was very hard to understand whether it should be hard or not. But I, outside of like the major, major, major things that I think a lot of that almost everybody goes through, mm. I do find I have a, a quite a good detector for that sort of thing. Do you, do you mean that you, um, and not to like stay on this for too long, but like di- just for out of curiosity, do you mean that like if you were objectively looking at someone else living in your same situation, you'd be like, oh, it should be easy for that person to move on. Oh, it should be easy for that person to to imagine having a kid. It, or, or like conceptualize having a kid. Like, do you mean that when you're emotionally in that situation, it feels a lot harder to like try to, you know, quote unquote, be more rational ab- about it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, I mean, looking at somebody else, I mean, it's, I, I find it very easy to see what somebody else should do <laughs> because I'm not living there because I don't have their emotions. I don't have the emotions to go with it. Natalie, is that the benefit of having a coach? <laughs> oh my gosh. Perfect timing. And you can find my services. <laughs> but it's so interesting because I feel like there is a common denominator between what you're both talking about and it has to do like that idea of on the one hand, it being so glaringly obvious where someone is making things harder for themselves when you're witnessing from the outside. And also that um, experience of having that turning point in yourself where it's like, oh, it doesn't have to be this way. And I, I feel like maybe you can challenge me on this, but it has to do with in some way, shape or form, taking that inner belief out of your head in some form of conversation with something other than yourself, like whether it's a higher power community, a friend, it's that moment where you 
I think we still walk around a lot of us with these inner beliefs, ideas, fears that maybe on like the deepest level, they're unconscious. It's like, this is just the way it is. I have to like, like, um, for me, it, it's like, it occurred a few months ago. I had this belief, like running is supposed to feel hard and feel like something wrong is happening in my body when I go (laughs) for a run, um, to, which I've since evolved and running is much easier now for me, but something like that sort of just assumed, uh, to, when we become more conscious and it's like, oh, like we start to develop insight into something where it's like, why is it, uh, why is it so frustrating at dinner time with my kids like this? And why do we all get so worked up? Like I have a seven and nine-year-old, like why is there always a point where somebody chokes because either an adult is getting frustrated or a kid is getting worked up and there has to be a different way And ultimately it's that point where we move that belief from like the unconscious to something more self-aware in ourselves. Mm. I mean, being more, and you can probably connect with this because I know you're a meditation coach, um, a meditation teacher. Um, I, so Brian, for you, it's like it, you know, we kind of jokingly pod this back and forth on an episode yesterday, but like for you, that mindfulness come that, that comes that, that like that noticing I find comes from therapy that mm. seems to come from for therapy sure, yeah. for, for you. Yep. For me, I, I fell ass backwards into a yoga practice when I was 20 mm. years old. And I learned, I learned in a period of my life where I was still very much developing mentally and psychologically and intellectually that, um, and emotionally and uh, everything mm. that I learned, uh, mindfulness techniques Mm-hmm. and and put them into like daily uh, practice for for many years of my 20s and so that sort of imbued me i think with a with a with a, a bit of an a leg up on being able to sort of step back and notice those things maybe a little bit quicker than the average person not saying that that i'm perfect at that or that's something that you know what just a little bit of an ability to go Zoom out. Yeah, we get it. You're super self-aware. You're perfect. <laughs> we get it. So, okay. So, the point that you're making is what? The point that I am making <laughs> is that um is that that ability to to hone that skill. And we've had this conversation on the podcast a lot of times with 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 that that is it's it's a tough skill. And I and I and I bring that up because I'm I am including myself as being very lucky for having been introduced to that at a time where I was still very malleable. Mm, Introducing yeah. that when you are at, at every year that you get older, that is a tougher skill to, to embed into yourself and takes more work. Um, and so the earlier that we can try to get, to get that skill developing, mm. the better um, for every, for I think probably every, every aspect of, of your life. What do you think about that, Natalie? I'm I'm just reminded of like that moment. Uh, and it's interesting. I I'm more and more becoming comfortable talking about my recovery journey journey around um anxiety, like using food to deal with anxiety, emotional overeating. And I remember like for years since my mid-teens struggling with body image and overeating, which I know I'll, preparing for this conversation, I was like, what is so 
like my story is not that unique. And there was definitely an inner critic, like, who are you to go on this show that real deals with people with like, who have really challenged big challenges in their life. Like mine is something that is so normalized. Like what girl, what, what teenager, you know, doesn't go through some version of body image and, and like wanting to control their body in some way. But on the other hand, like in this spirit of this conversation about suffering, like it freaking caused me so much suffering. I was in my head all the time about how do I look? And it was all, it was a lot about how attractive, like how much it, how accepted am I by girl, men and women. But at the time it was like the hetero kind of structure of like, am I getting attention? Am I like attractive enough to get their attention? Because if I do, then I'm valid. I'm not this like, um, outsider. And I bring this up because like, I struggled with like overeating. I was 50 pounds overweight. I, you know, would over exercise. I would all day, all day be regretting what I ate and then planning what I was going to eat. And then I would bail on parties and not go out because I had so much shame and guilt about what I'd done and how I would not look good enough and feel like fat in my clothes. And I just like, I try to go on diets and everything, but I kind of in my head just felt like nobody else struggles this way. Like there's something wrong with me. That was the belief I had. And in the spirit of what we're talking about, like essentially self-awareness and um, insight into ourselves, it was only in my like second year or first year in my journalism program that I heard that there was a different way. Like my, one of my um, peers in my university program shared that she was going to this support group for emotional overeating and that she was so many pounds overweight and used to struggle the way I did. She, she's also, she was in another program for um, alcoholic, you know, addiction to alcohol. And I just remember the day that she told me that and subsequently going to this um, support group and being like, it was like a paradigm shift for me that moment. It, it was like the world turned on it, its axis because I suddenly, uh, had this awareness that I wasn't alone with this mm. struggle. And I'm not, I I'm thinking back to what you were saying earlier about like, having the insight and awareness. And I think that was a, a huge turning point for me where that not only did I become aware that, that it wasn't, that it, it didn't need to be that way, but that there was also a solution. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what got me like, that was the very first time for me, I had been going to therapy, like, did I go to therapy yet? No, but I was going to like, I was getting some support. No, I had, sorry, I was going to a psychiatrist and everything. But um, for me, that was the turning point where I realized that I didn't have to carry that heavy load and mm. it got, it just planted the seed for me. Mm. And it's that, it is that first, it's that first thing. I, rem I, I remember you always saying something about what uh, the, the guy who was running your teacher training program in India had said something mm -hmm. like aware awareness is the beginning of change or something like that. Like, like change can't occur without the awareness that a change must occur. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and 
and it's a muscle like it's a it's a muscle that you flex it's like a skill that you practice like once you notice it you're more likely to notice it again and then you're more likely to notice it a little mm. bit quicker a little bit more effectively and that has a you know if you if you sort of like like in the planting of the seed if you nurture it it will grow mm. and i love that Sorry, go ahead. I could see you were going to ask a question. No, that's a, that's a, that's okay. Um, I, I was just really curious um, about you. You mentioned um, you used the word spiritual when you when mm. you first brought up um, your recovery, um, I, and I was just curious, like what aspect? Because you said, and, and just now you just said that that you know you were seeing a psychiatrist too at the the same time, but mm. obviously this recovery program really helped you in a way that that has had some sort of profound impact on your mm -hmm. life and, and possibly the trajectory of it. So what, what aspect did, did like spirituality play in that? I mean, still to, in this moment today, the spiritual piece is like, it is the main tap root for me. And like, I know this is a podcast, but if those, if you all listening could see, you'd see my eyes are closed. Cause that's, I find I close my eyes so much more in conversation now because I'm constantly, I feel in relationship with something greater than myself. And in the spirit of what you said earlier, um, with kind of that wiring that I've now developed, like that these kind of, um, the scaffolding is there and the, the, all these like underground tunnels have been built and I'm constantly appealing to that part of myself for guidance and not even consciously seeking it definitely before this conversation I did I was like I know that I get anxious before and performance anxiety before these conversations and it's like I go to my usual bs imposter lines like I'm not prepared enough who am I to be on this show I'm not good enough I don't have what it takes and it's like that's actually self-centeredness and really I want to be here to whatever comes up in connection with you two beautiful humans is what's meant to. So mm -hmm. I just trust in that. And um, so to answer your question, the spiritual piece, um, initially that the way I got to build some connection with creator, spirit, higher power, God, whatever energy was like, not Natalie. <laughs> something that is not Natalie's mind. Cause I knew what happened when I was in Natalie's, like when I would follow Natalie's plans, it was always the same outcome. It was that like, I have to control it. I have to make it happen. If I don't do it, it's not going to work out. Okay. And it just came with that anxiety and tension and usually self-sabotage. So like with this thing for me initially, which was the relationship, like the overeating, the feeling sick, I had digestive issues. I had high cholesterol. Like I was, I was powerless over this trying to control my food. Like I knew where that would lead. So I had to be willing to access something other than Natalie. And mm -hmm. that's how it started for me. And then, and then I saw that it really cool stuff started happening. Like mm. grace started to show up in amazing ways. And that then began the, the, the ripple effect began where I started to trust 
something other than Natalie in other areas of my life. It's really, um, it's it, everything that you're kind of saying here reminds me a lot of, <clears throat> um, some like really, some like really key foundational principles to, um, to, um, yoga and Hindu philosophy that have like really served that have really served me well over, over the last, um, over the last uh, 12 or 13 years where thinking about um, if you think about consciousness or the self, like these are really, really, these are really like kind of like complex terms that are hard to wrap your head around. And, and I like to ground them in an idea that's like very similar to what you were talking about there, which is to say that like when you are born, you're like, you're you and you're this like completely unaltered you you're in a vacuum. And then as you, you know, you, you get older and, you know, you, you have your parents and you have maybe siblings and you have friends and you engage in sports and like all of these things are like layering on top of, on top of that, like, kind of like unaltered version of you. And in some ways they are amplifying you. And in some ways they are like subtracting from you. And we and but the more layers good or bad that we that we pile on over the years the more we are disconnected from sort of like the the base layer that is and i think and and so and so mm. how do we and very challenging how do we understand what parts of ourselves are telling us to do something based on all the layers that we've piled on and what parts of us are telling us to do something from like the base? You mean other than going to therapy? Sorry? You, you mean like what, what do, how do we tell this other than going to therapy? Cause like the, mm. it's funny because the way that you describe like, and I know that this is my, my Is it shocking tool. to you that I know that without having gone to therapy? No, no, I don't think you do though. And, the, and we've, we had this conversation before there's, so you're talking, you're describing a mask, the mask of your, the, the mask of identity of all of these layered on positive and negative things that take away from who you are at your core being. Right. right. And so we were having this conversation the other day about how there are conscious, there's a conscious mask that you have on the way that you want to actively portray yourself to the world. And then there's this subconscious mask. Are you hijacking my analogy <laughs> to adapt it into your world? No, I'm not, I'm not hijacking it. I'm adding to it. So okay. because you said, is it surprising to me that I, that you know, who your core self is. You asked uh, me if I was surprised. Oh no, no, me. I wasn't asking that. That I that I had the ins that I had the insight of that without without going to therapy. <clears throat> but I think that having somebody else to help you navigate that is really helpful. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, if you <laughs> so if you know, so I'm not. Well, I'm, but what was your question? Because you're you're getting to a question there. So what was the question that you're getting to in asking that? The question that I the question that I was getting to was going back to what Natalie had said about about saying, I need I need not Natalie, mm -hmm. and and what I hear what I hear when you say that is like it's not not it's not not Natalie, it's like real Natalie, it's like mm. what does real Natalie need to mm. do? I you love know? that the Instead discernment like it's which we were talking about earlier. I also appreciate being inside the friendship here. And this is like sort of my husband and I, because he, we have different ways of, of interpreting how we get at the tr truths. And, um, it's, I, yeah, 
it's like so interesting to keep an open mind while still having faith in our own way of anyways, I don't mean to like intrude on the, no, no, the you're convo. In the, you're in the, you're in the pot. <laughs> you're in the friendship pot. Yeah. Don't you dare hijack this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the discernment, I love that you put it as like, not, it's like not Natalie, you're right. That kind of the, the layer of the, um, the ego, Natalie, as opposed to the pure kind of essence, the natural essence. Um, I think part of it, so there's the practice is a huge piece, like that word in and of itself practice, just like that idea of coming back and repeating something regularly in the pursuit of like, improving whatever that is like whether it's you know a physical strength um or being able to you know insert the blink everyone knows what practicing is but we talk about this practice like my sister my younger sister is a family lawyer and she came to one of my events recently that was called the divine feminine and we had like a beautiful conversation about our practices. And she said, she's like, what is this practice that everybody has? I don't understand what this means. <laughs> and I think what it means for me, and I'll probably have a different answer in a few years is um, coming it is like polishing that stone of conscious contact with my deepest self. And also that's that source of something that is that creates the wonder around me like nature mm. connection with others serendipity that thing that no science can perfectly explain and so part of the practice for me is um almost like as one of my teachers says like shaking off the road dust at the start of the day uh like for me ideally first thing in the morning cuz i in spite of having a meditation practice and being in support communities and reading a lot of like, you know, literature about raising consciousness in spite of doing that for 20 years, like surprise, surprise, I wake up every morning with this feeling that I've already like effed mm. up my day, like just with this dread of this heaviness in my chest that I am, I suck and I'm a failure. And part of the work for me is like, how do I shake off that road dust and drop in to us? Like some, it's not always stillness, but even just to becoming aware of the chatter that's going on. So then I have the choice to say, I'm not going to subscribe to that today. That's like the first layer and then that I can share the other pieces, but the the other piece is connecting with my why, because and, that yeah. Sorry, no, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I'm sorry. No, just the why piece I find is has been really profound for me, and it's taken some time to. It's a daily again, and that in and of itself is is a constant refining of what is my why, what is my why, um, but it is that really not it's that experience of um 
what, not just what lights me up. And I'm, I'm very, as a, you know, I do have that skeptic in me too. So all I'm, the reason I'm stumbling is because I, I question the words I'm going to use, like your calling, your gift, your Dharma. But on the other hand, I think just like there's not a single flower or bird that's identical out there. We all have our own unique, Mm. um, kind of presentation of who we are and how we're meant to show up in this world. Mm. And the more we can connect with what that is, the more I think we feel less suffering because Mm. we're allowing our true nature to be represented, presented, and we can feel more connection with others, with our world in being that. Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts it's it's very important to it's very important i think it's important and i and i i i appreciate that you do really think about the words because like because in the same vein as like as everyone is um as as everyone is very unique is that certain words are off-putting to some people when you use certain words about you know you know like if i like me saying the word consciousness i know Mm -hmm. some people hear the word consciousness and go shut up yeah Versus using the word as, uh, you know, self-aware, self-awareness. You know, mm-hmm. Some people go, oh, I understand self-awareness, but consciousness, mm-hmm. nah, get out of here, get out of here with that. So using certain language with, with the right audience is important. But what you said about practice, that's why it's a practice. Like all that stuff that you said, it's a practice because yet still we have to work on it because it doesn't mm-hmm. ever get perfected. It doesn't ever end. If you stop doing it, it reverses itself pretty quickly Um, and I'm surprised that your sister being a lawyer had that question because something that I very much admire about the medical and legal practice or legal profession is that they call themselves practices. It's interesting, huh? Because they're like, we're, we're always learning. It's always being added to. It's never going to end the whole time I'm working in this field. I'm going to have to be re-upping and learning Mm -hmm. and re-establishing and recertifying. But can I ask, is there that humility? in that, those professions? Like I say it from a place of care because I feel like the clients I've supported who many are physicians and lawyers, like there is so much freaking pressure that they have to just know it all. Mm. And then they have, and the level of stress that that creates anyways, I, I digress, but I think that it is an interesting thing that it says practice. Cause I feel now like there's not, it's not experienced that way for many of them. Well, I think that's a good, I think that's a good sort of, uh, way to, to start speaking about kind of like what success is, mm-hmm. yeah. um, cause it's a muddy word. I feel like it's a, such a broad word, but for some people it's very specific. Um, like it means a very specific thing, although success, you know, is, I think is a extremely broad thing and it's very subjective as to. Um, as to what it is to a certain individual, I guess it depends on what our 
what what things are important to them, what aspects of their life they they want to prioritize or do prioritize. Um, what does that look like if you you know if you're going to meet with somebody? What does that look like for establishing um, like a starting point with somebody? Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it it really it so much of it is stripping away, like stripping away all the beliefs, the shoulds, the self-limiting stuff and, and uh, which we all carry like unconsciously. And I still, I still catch myself, especially since I put out this podcast, I'm so painfully aware of like how these old beliefs die hard. They just kind of are so hardwired. So I think a big piece, it's like not adding in as much as stripping away and I think it's almost finding that balance between I'm sort of riffing here with you, but that balance between the art and the science because the art and the science of it, because I think we are creatures of order of routine. We like order. We're drawn to some certain wanting of certainty of like, how can I empirically evaluate? Am I being successful or not? Because if it's too, um, kind of amorphous and, and in this other zone and we're not being concrete enough, then we, we can all feel like we're never successful. And that leads to the stuff that I, I support people with and that I've gone through myself, like that just insatiable overachieving, leading to burnout, leading to chronic disease, leading to like this whole quiet quitting and resignation Mm. that's happening in corporate. So, there's about there's a balance and what i mean by the the science is like okay so let's like be let's look at this first like what am i expect what if i were successful what would that look like you know and for me i think for a long time it was like it needs to be a certain numerical amount that i'm bringing in financially or i needed this title at the cbc when i was a producer there that would be success um at another point like early days, it was like, I'm a size four. It's kind of that phrase when I, that I, when I'm really Mm. thin, then I will be attractive enough to like the cool guys. And I will, I don't even know if I finished the cover, like the sentence (laughs) in my head. That's how like, um, sort of like pre primal, like, um, primitive it is, but it, it, it is about wanting to feel enough ultimately. And so, um, I think it's just like really bringing as, as, um, a a number of the guests in my podcast have shared like a, a sort of brutal honesty to like what these metrics are that hijack us or that we don't even get concrete about, but they're like circling and taking up so Mm. much bandwidth. And then we see someone else achieving something and it's like, I'm the worst, you know, compare despair. They have this many followers. Like, even though we know how ridiculous it is, it still hooks us. Mm -hmm. And then we only have so much energy in our day and we end our day. Like, what did I do with myself today? Like I've been just absorbing this negativity, this fear. And I feel like I didn't even show up for my freaking true self today because I've just been swimming in the waters of what other people think. So 
one of the things that I love right now, I have a daily morning, um, like it's a daily gratitude writing practice where I write out it. I call it my future self gratitudes where I write like, and I'll say it's actually becoming very much present self because I've been writing it for six months that I'm, I'm becoming it. And one of the things I write is this, I evaluate my success by how earnestly I show up to the daily actions outlined by my higher power. So what that is, is like I, as part of my morning practice, I, as I'm um, writing out these daily future self-gratitudes, like uh, another one is um, I'm so in awe of my two beautiful boys. They are my greatest. My boys are seven and nine. They're my greatest divine teachers of fun, patience, and love. And I take time every day to drop in for deep connection. So when they're like, mom, come play basement soccer while we blast ACDC, I'm like, okay, I will go do that. Like I, I am, you are my teacher and of fun, patience and love. So I, I have those, um, kind of pre-wired in me. And, and as part of that process, it becomes clear to me, what are my, what are the things that I need to do today? Like, like this is part of, I hope, I know this is a bit meandering, but the piece of connecting with consciousness as I'm connecting with the, how I want to show up in my day things come to mind. They float to the surface of like, this is my priority today. I am going to do, I have to go over my finances. Okay. That's something I'm going to do today. So I end up with like three to six actions that I'm going to take that day. And then my, the way I evaluate my success is very much based in the day of how earnestly I'm going to show up to do those three to six things. And it really, that's the science. It keeps it concrete. Well, the art piece, or you could say the wisdom pieces, it's coming not from like a should place, but from a higher place of like connection with something that feels much more loving and abundant. If, what I'm hearing that is really interesting and, and, and is not the way that I think that success is typically thought of. I think when people talk about success a lot, they, it almost feels like they're talking about something that's in the future. Like it, mm. like you can't, mm -hmm. like, it's not an evaluation of, of how you are today. It's like, I will be successful or I like, mm. I'm not successful, but this is how I will be successful. But what you were talking about is like all immediate, like it's mm. happening today. It's happening now. Yeah. And so I wonder what like, is always approaching, but never arrives. Tomorrow. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. But, but like, is that what, you know, like, yeah, like I, I, my my like gut reaction is like, mm. but you can't be successful today. Like that's something that's mm. determined by like Ugh. the way you show up day after day after but day. But how for messed a, a up is that? I say lovingly to you, like <laughs> that we think that because like that is the freaking perpetual postponement of fulfillment. That then it's like the entire premise of which our cup capitalist society is based on like i need something more i need to consume something more i need to buy something else to feel enough right and what you're saying what you're thank you like illuminating for me is that we can actually experience that fulfillment in this present moment and rewire ourselves to see that we have it right now yeah and it's not to mention that the success and not to mention that that 
outlining the things that make you feel successful today will cumulatively be the thing that attains the other kind of success that is in the future. Like, because it's, it's accomplishing those things on a daily basis. But it's funny because you can't like, it's almost like I, I, so I was walking to the office the other day and, uh, it was like one of the last warm days of the year. Um, I was, I was in a t-shirt and shorts walking to the office Mm. in the morning across like the beautiful hill here in Halifax. And, Mm. and I was just thinking like, wow, like I'm here. I, I, I fucking did it. Like, like Mm. financially I haven't hit any targets in my life. I don't own a house. I like, you know, like there's no, there's like, it's not, none of that financial stuff. Mm. I was like, I'm going to work with my two best friends and I love being here and doing this. And like, you know, I'm not thinking about when the day is going to end. And when I get to go home, Mm. I'm thinking about like, just being in the present moment. And I actually had the thought, this is like, like I did it. Like I'm, I'm here. But then also if I thought like, if, if you asked me if I thought I was successful, it's like such a like intangible thing that like, I don't know if I would say yes mm-hmm. in the moment right away. It's also, though, it's like, also in that moment I like, felt yes. It's also a word that's like tainted or that is often tainted by what somebody else has defined as success instead of your own definition. I mean, like, I mean, defining it for you, I don't know. Is that, is that the, is that the most, is that the first thing? Is it like, let's for you, what is it for you? Let's figure that out. Which can feel, I, if I'm imagining myself listening, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to barf. Like this is so overwhelming. I don't know (laughs) what it is for me. Is it ever enough? And like part of like, what I love about your story of that, that picture you painted of like the sun and the gratitude for working with your friends. And that moment is that you let yourself drop in and feel it. And you didn't maybe a minute later, it's like, but I still have to do this thing. And what about this? It's like, this is what gets, I get so excited talking about this because there's this, there's so much neuroscience that backs up why we can't allow ourselves to drop into the good enough and relax into the success. Because I'm sure you've had guests talk about the, this sort of reptilian brain that we have that goes to fight, flight, fright, fight, flight, freeze so easily because it's a survival mechanism. And even though there's no saber toothed tiger or direct threat around the corner, we're still operating with this sort of prehistoric brain that is anticipating every moment, something bad that's going to happen and needing to be on guard, needing to have these like high cortisone level, whatever. And so that is very much connected to this, like almost pursuit of success. Like it's that it it gets our, our adrenaline going. It We get a dopamine hit from it. So there's an addiction to it. There's, there's an addiction. If I'm not like, I remember going into my exams at McGill and being like, I'm not prepared enough. I'm not prepared enough. I'm going to fuck, like, I'm going to fail this. And in a way, I think that there was this, like, I needed to stay in that mindset to feel like alert. I thought, and Part of the journey for me is that brain set, that mindset or that brain channel got so painful. It caused so much suffering for me that I I became like desperate to try a different way. 
And that's how I access the rest and digest setting that is also available to us in our in our brain. That is the place where we can feel ease, empathy, connection. And that only happens, I'll say, by spending more time in that state. Because like as Dan Siegel, who's a kind of neuroscientist says, what fires together, wires together. So if we're spending more time like in a contemplative practice of some sort, even if it's like taking three breaths or anything that's not that intense survival mindset stuff, if we're spending time in that more rest and digest state, then we're building more gray matter in our brains and we're creating a different neurocircuitry where we can be present in the moment and feel a different version of success that isn't attached to some future state or some sense of um, not having enough. Mm-hmm. I, I have a question. So in that situation where you know I feel that gratitude in that moment, and I'm like, I feel success. I feel successful right now. But then almost immediately after, it's just like, well, like if I don't keep doing this thing I got to do today and all these other things I got to do, this could go away. Like I better, you know, you better protect this. This is, mm-hmm. you know, this is like, I wonder how long this will last type of thing. Totally. Like how do you, if you feel successful yeah. during one day, how do you, how do you think about protecting that or mm-hmm. should you think about protecting that? I love that question. I think it's a combination. So I really like to look at it as like, uh, kind of like a three-part structure for my day. And I like, I guess I'm realizing I do look at things on a more day-to-day because it just feels less daunting. So it's sort of like the beginning of the day, the morning ideally is planting the seed of awareness. So whatever practice that is, like when I started out, it was three conscious breaths. That's all I could do. I don't even know if they were conscious. It was me just saying, I'm going to take three breaths before I like hit the ground running. And what that did was it just started to like open the iris of the lens of my ability to create calm at will. And so um, that there's, you know, there's ways that we can expand on that morning, that practice, but what you're, what you're doing is you're kind of like turning the switch on that parasympathetic nervous system, the rest and digest state of like, I can, I can be calm. I can be relaxed. I don't need to be in this stress state all the time. And part of that is like the, as people who practice yoga know, it's like that body awareness, like connection with our body for so many years. I didn't even know that when I felt stressed that my gut got really tight, that like my, my brow got furrowed, that my jaw got tight. And that breath awareness is sort of that very um, beginning of becoming aware of our body so that in the middle of the day, when we notice, oh, like I'm so good right now. And then it's like, oh my God, I forgot to call the hot water tank repair people and whatever. It's like, I feel the tight gut again. And it's like, I can just have awareness of that. So that's sort of the middle. The second piece is the middle of the day. Just it's, it is the muscle memory. Like the brain is a muscle, just like you'll work out 
your arms during the day. And then you're like lifting something and a, a planter from the back here. And it's like, wow, like I, this is lighter than I remember. Like my muscles are working. So mm-hmm. in the middle of the day, we get to test out what we've planted at the start of the day, even like how you manage like challenging conversations with your colleagues or friends. Like, are you leaving a tiny split second to just pause before you react and defend yourself and get your back up? Like that even is a massive. And then the end of the day is really for me, the opportunity to look back and it can literally be a one minute thing um, where I look at like, where did I struggle? Where, what were my wins and where did I experience awe? So I'm really almost like bookmarking the day with this continuity of like how I want to show up, which feels very um, artificial and contrived in the beginning. And there's so, there can be so much resistance to doing this, but, and that's part of habit change as you the the life hack expert knows who's probably read um what's it called the um atomic habits yeah, but yeah. that is part of habit change is that there's everything in our being resists and doesn't want to do it but there's this beautiful continuity of looking back at the day and looking even considering like what was one win oh one win was i actually did three out of the six things I said I was going to do at the start of the day. So I, and I did it earnestly. So even though I didn't do all six, I feel that I showed up for the things that I intentionally set out for my day. And it just creates in a way, again, it's like this artificial, you could say it's an artificial reality that I'm putting like blinders on to all the other crap that I didn't do that day. But I know what it's like when Natalie is running, like ego, Natalie is running the show. Like there's infinite things that need to get done and I'm constantly failing at it and I'm not good enough. I don't want to be that version of myself. So in a way I'm like consciously choosing to put on like my, I don't know, like consciousness blinders to be very intentional about how I want to show up. And over time, like quite quickly, my world starts to shift. My relationships start to shift the way things start coming to me are in a different form than what they used to be. For example, um, I, I used to just like, if there was dessert at the table, I felt like I had to eat it. It would talk to me and like, not only a bite of it, like I would eat as much as I could. And then at nighttime, when everybody was gone, I I would like, if I didn't finish it, like I would have to go and eat the whole cake. And over time, it like there would be days where I'd be like, oh my God, there was cake at the table and I didn't even notice it because I was so deep in conversation with my sister and so connected with that, that I didn't even notice that there was like this chocolate cake that used to like haunt me. Mm. I, I, um, you said something, you said something earlier about, um, about like the fight or flight response. And, um, and like occupying that sort of state of mind and in, in, in a situation that, you know, from like an objective observer, um, is not required. And, Mm. and I, something that, that I have found and this, it wasn't my purpose, but, but, but a happy byproduct of it over the past several years is 
that intense exercise like allows me to spend healthy time in that place of fight or flight Interesting. In, in, in like a, in a very, like in a very intentional, um, healthy way. Um, and for me, that's, that's, um, road cycling. I'm oftentimes uh-huh. going, going very fast. I've got to be very aware of everything around me. I'm, I'm with other people. Um, you know, there's like, there's many different little factors that my brain has to just be on mega high alert for. And then, that attention combined with like the exhaustion that comes with that intense exercise sort of by contrast makes a lot of my life seem very, very, very relaxed. Wow. Like it, it puts me into like a place where I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to the office now and, and work on a computer for five hours. Like, man, after what I, after that. What a breeze. <laughs> I ask <laughs> you, know? you on the days when, and I'm sure there are like, you just can't get the workout in or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have kids, like if someone's up with a cold in the middle of the night or whatever, what happens to the day, the rest of your day when you don't get the thing that you planned is going to give you that? Yeah, I do. I do have a kid. I do have one kid. She's a year and a half. Mm, and, yeah. um, and on, on a, uh, if it's one day, nothing doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very intentional about rest as well because I compete. So like the rest mm. part is also kind of just as com- important. But um, but if it stretches into like a three-day situation, I start to feel it. Like something starts to stir. I start to mm-hmm. feel a little bit anxious, a little bit giddy, a little bit, um, a little bit irritable. Mm-hmm. Things start to stir a little bit and the equilibrium is, is uh, messed with for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like if it's disrupted after yeah three days or so, then I get the itch that something needs to happen. Um, and I, and, and that's probably like a mixture of like the good things that it does for me. And also probably like a minor addiction to yeah. doing it. I think part of this like process of self-awareness and of asking these questions of like, what is my, my version of success? Like, what is the version of success that I can relax into is getting honest with ourselves about like who we are versus who we think we need to be or should be based on some kind of conditioning. And specifically, um, like I grew up with it. My father, he's 78. He still runs four mornings a week. Like he played hockey up until 10 years ago when he pulled it, like damaged his quad muscles. But he was always like, he's just a, he's got a lot of energy. Like he needs that outlet. And mm. he learned early on that he needs to get it out. Like everyone in the neighborhood would see my dad running. Like it was just his thing in the winter with shorts on. Anyways, that was his mm-hmm. thing. And I, I'm similar. Like I have that, uh, sort of like energy that needs to be, um, channeled in a certain way. And in a way, maybe it is an addiction, but it's also, I guess it's a piece of like, for on, on the other hand, like I know people in my life who they just don't have that drive. I have the drive. I, I don't know if it's ever going to go away, but I have to part of the journey and the work for me and people I support is like, I, I work, I tend to work with like a bit, they're not hyper 
perspective, but like ambitious people who feel like they have to create something and put something out there. And it's about like right sizing it and getting mm-hmm. really honest with ourselves about like how much of this is my true nature that just I am that I have the constitution of someone who needs to get a lot of energy out versus I'm internalizing this like impossible expectation of like never good enough that I have to put out there. That discernment is so powerful to be able and to then get concrete about like what I need to prioritize in a practical way. Like I need to tell my husband, Hey, I'm going to the hot yoga class tomorrow morning. Like how can we, um, you know, mobilize the children and the household so that that can happen so that I'm not like, I, so that I'm more calm and present in my day with, with the rest of the day. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious, Natalie, like if somebody Google's success coach and they, and they like come across your information, oh, no. I'm imagining like the type of person who, who like would be Googling success coach in the, mm-hmm. in the first place. Like I imagine that it is somebody who's high achieving who wants, who has like maybe even like some sort of vision already of what success looks like for them and they want help trying to attain that. And I'm curious if somebody comes to you with this like idea in mind that when you hear them talk about it, you're like, Ooh, that's actually like, say it was like, I want to make $10 million in the Mm -hmm. next year, no matter what. And it's like, I'll do it at all costs. (laughs) And and I'm curious if you, if you, if you have to like, after such an insightful conversation, (laughs) this is where we found ourselves. Well, I mean, this is, I'm asking this based on the foundation of this entire conversation, because like, Mm -hmm. it sounds like you have a really healthy understanding of what success should look like. And, and I imagine that sometimes when people are looking for help achieving their version of success, that it might not be real sick, like what will me- really make them feel successful, you know? So I'm, I'm curious if you've had to have conversations with people about like, you know, like this may, this achieving $10 million a year at all costs and just mm. trampling over people to get there isn't necessarily what you want. You want something more like this. Like how do you help them get to a, a more realistic vision of something that will actually make them feel um, fulfillment? Mm. Or have you had that experience? Actually, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good question because I, I, I'll i be like, for me, part of my true self is being vulnerable and authentic. And like I, I, as I said, at the top of the convo, I struggle with that title success coach. And I, because I, I actually have an aversion to most of the coaches who call themselves that. And I, I couldn't even call myself a coach up until recently. I had, when I tell people would ask what I did, I'm like, well, I'd always be like, I used to work for the CBC (laughs) and now I sort of help people out with, and I'm a coach and, and I'd be like, Oh, like a life coach. And then I'd be like, Oh my God, no, don't say that title. (laughs) And I just like, I just, there's such a, there's such a uh, stigma. And at the same time, like, I know what I've come to terms with in myself is that I create, I, nothing excites me more than transformation because I have seen transformation firsthand in my life in other people's lives that has, they never believed possible. And that to me is like the, the thing that lights me up most in my life. And so 
I, this whole, to answer your question about like putting myself out there as a success coach, like people do not come to me with, I don't think that's the energy I'm putting out in the universe, (laughs) wanting the billion dollar, million dollar, whatever. Like I, it would be hilarious if that did happen. There are though people who do reach out and they, a lot of like the professionals who are, you know, lawyers or doctors, and there's such a deep conditioning of like, still clinging to having to meet certain results and metrics in their life. And at the start of my work as a coach, I felt like I, I was afraid of losing them as clients. So I felt like I had to appease them and the people pleaser in me really tried hard to like, yeah, to kind of follow their script. But I I actually have a bit of a what's it called like a um not radical but kind of like a I'm very unattached now to like people whether they're going to want to still work with me or like me because I know that that gets in the way of their progress totally. and I just try to be in my own like just listening and and asking questions based a lot on my own intuition, because I got to say, like, the world needs more of us being in our intuition. Um, And I don't care if people are going to judge that word. It's like, we all have access to wisdom and we've, whether it's through our academic training or like this capitalist system, like we've just been jacked up on this like intellect way of seeing the world, like just being in our thinking minds all the time. And what good is that doing for our planet and our lives? Like this, we, it's time for us to really connect more with this other kind of intelligence, emotional intelligence, intuition that we have. And so not to uh, derail from your question, I think it comes back to like my purpose, my role is to help people access that inner awareness, that inner voice in themselves so that they can find an internal uh, kind of like weather vane compass for their own version of success. And maybe some things get dismantled for them, but I think ultimately that's serving them in the long run. So I've nailed the zero people are going to reach out guys. Thanks for the interview. Cause I've got like no clients from this interview, but honestly, I feel like that's how I have to be real and show up because I, otherwise I can't like sleep and I can't like sit with myself. Totally. And you're, and, um, you're doing, you, you're doing, you're doing everybody. You're doing somebody a disservice by giving them what they want rather than what they need. Um, Mm. and, and, um, and that's not why they, and that's not why they came in the first place. Also, if you ask me, um, I'd way rather work with someone who has that philosophy Mm. for life than, than someone who's like, yeah, yeah, we can help you hit that $10 million. That's no problem. No problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, and you said something like right near the, and maybe in like the first third of our conversation where, you know, you, you said you have, you have the, you know, you wake up. And you have the the like imposter syndrome and like the struggles of like I'm I'm not this or I'm not that and and those those struggles that everybody has, and and that to me, in 
any, in any profession, in any interaction is a comfort to hear mm. rather than a detriment because it is a, because it is, it is showing the thing that you said that you, that was a paradigm shift for you was realizing that you weren't alone. And when that is shown to people in, especially in professional contexts where historically we've shied away from that. And we've thought that we actually have to put on this like image of perfection in whatever it is that we do. And that like, we have no flaws and that like we have all the answers. And this is, you know, this is why you're here because I'm the pinnacle of, of all that is holy. Um, that's yeah, bullshit. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and, 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 and meeting people on that human level of going, yo, we're not so different. Mm-hmm. I've just worked on this, this, I've just worked on this mm-hmm. thing and spent a lot of time getting to know this really well. And I think I can help you. Mm. Yeah, it's very important. Mm. Um, thank you so much, Natalie. This was awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I really so enjoyed having you on the show today. Ugh, I so enjoyed hanging out with you and uh, the opportunity to be more real than the last podcast interview I did. Not that the last one was bad. I just mean every single one I'm more real. So that makes it interesting and real for me. Yeah. It's a, it is, these are the conversations that we really live for. Like really um, just like real conversations, you know, um, back and forth where we can, where we can, where we're just rallying, uh, rallying thoughts and ideas um, across the net. And bickering, you know. Yeah, with a little bit of bickering thrown in there too. <laughs> but no backhands. That's right. No backhands. All forehands. All here. direct. Right. Some serves, some That's serving. Right. That's right. Um, thank you very much, uh, Natalie, for, uh, for taking the time. Tell, um, tell, tell us and tell our listeners where, where can people stay up to date with, with what you're doing, your work, and, and where to find you. Sure. So the best way to find me is on my website, which is my name, Natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E, Ruskin, R-U-S-K-I-N.com. And there's actually a free download guide to help you with starting a practice. So there's an like a free audio to help you get started. I'm also on LinkedIn and uh, try not to spend too much time on Instagram because it's uh, it's, Why? It's not good on my brain. So yeah, that's how you can find me. And you can also email me. I try to reply. It's Natalie at natalieruskin.com. Love to hear from you. Sweet. Awesome. Thank you, Natalie. Thanks so much. That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sipper. 
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.